Welcome to the Fun Engagement Pod from Fun Insights, bringing you insights straight from the experts. You can join the Fun Engagement Network at funinsights.co.uk and we'll let you know when new episodes come out. We're also on Acast, Google, Apple and all major podcasting platforms. This stuff is the future. 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 Welcome to episode 13 of the Fan Engagement Pod. This episode features the national perspective on fan engagement from Supporters Direct Scotland's Chief Executive, Alan Russell. We talk about the role of fans nationally and how SDS engages differently with the Scottish Football Association, the SFA, versus the SPFL, the Scottish Professional Football League, looking at why fans were part of the return from COVID discussions with the SFA, whilst they weren't part of the league reconstruction discussions with the SPFL. We also talk about the supporter liaison officer role and how it varies from other countries. Alan brings a great deal of additional very relevant expertise that make this podcast really worth listening to, having worked in a management consultancy on projects for a whole range of clients, including multinational corporations, local startup companies, charities and the public sector, particularly in the implementation of strategy, communications and engagement with key stakeholders. Don't forget you can join the Fun Engagement Network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join. When it comes to Scot- Scotland now, I mean, you're, you're someone who, um, you, you, you run the organisation ostensibly, it's part of the same organisation I used to work for, obviously Supporters Direct, the original entity doesn't exist anymore, but SD Scotland became independent, what, about four, four years ago, is that right? Uh, yeah, it was end of 2017. Okay, three years ago. Um, so a couple of years after I left, um, you became an independent organisation uh, and working in Scottish football. Um, I mean, you, as, a, as an entity, um, the work of supporters direct in Scotland has, has been around since 2001, I think it was. That's right, it was only yeah. just after, yeah, that Sean, Sean Hamill and co pulled together a similar thing in Scotland. What's the state of play when it comes to um, to 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 uh your role in scottish football now and um you know how much has that changed since that period and you know is it is it changed have things changed a lot around you or do you think you've had a distinct role in changing the way that scottish football operates and the way i think think there's probably a bit of both um where we are just now looks very different than than the, the start of the, the century, really. Um, where, where we have, what we have just now, the governance of Scottish football has evolved slightly. Um, so they brought in, um, it's now called the Scottish Football Association's Congress, which is a wider, a wide stakeholder body. Uh, it replaced something called the council before, which was more um, a talking shop. Um, and this is meant to take a more formal role in governance about, about help, helping decisions get, get shaped rather than decisions being made. Um, and when that was formed, Supports Direct Scotland became the fans representative on the Congress. So um, we're almost in with the bricks a little bit as a as a serious kind of permanent stakeholder for Scottish football. And that, that's helped quite a lot. 
Scottish football itself has changed quite a bit over the over the, the couple of decades that we've been around, both in terms of leagues, not not league structures, um, but in terms of the the, the separate league bodies, um, and um, and and obviously supporter ownership has grown a lot in that time. So we have um, a supporter owned club in the in the top half of the Premiership. Uh, in Motherwell, um, they've been supporter owned for a few years. We've got a couple more that are are advancing along the way to becoming supporter ownership in in Hearts and St Mirren, uh, and then lower down the, the the leagues, we have quite a few supporter owned clubs, uh, more at the lower levels, so Sterling Albion and an Athletic. And I'm going to forget somebody here when I give this list as I as I usually do, but um, we have six or seven clubs that are either supporter owned already or are on the way to, to becoming going. So the latest two um, that are, are embarking on that journey is Partick Thistle and Green Morton. Um, so two clubs that are, um, well, Partick Thistle just today, their, their relegation has been confirmed down to League One. So they're our third tier and Great Mortar are in the, the second tier in the championship. Um, but they both have, um, they're, they're both on a, on a quite a, a, a rapid journey towards supporter ownership. So that's the biggest change in Scottish football, I guess, is that that's become an accepted way of doing things. And what we're hearing from the boardrooms is that it's becoming an accepted way for for club owners to look at the future of their club, about, about embedding their legacy and leaving their, their clubs in safe hands. And that's, I think that's one of the, one of the most successful uh, things that we've done in Scotland is by leading the charge north of the border for supporter ownership. It's gone from a place where it seems a bit of a, of a, of a, a wacky idea that's maybe appropriate for some of our smaller clubs to being something that clubs right in the, right in the top divisions of our, of our games think is, is actually the most stable way long term for the clubs to be owned. And it's not supporters that think that. It's not just supporters that think that. It's outgoing owners of football clubs. So, And we think of the way that they, 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 they helped make that happen. Is, and, and, and a few of those clubs that I've, I've described there, what they do, they, they enter a partnership with the supporters organisation to gradually get them ready to take over the club and take it over in good shape and to, and to preserve that legacy uh, that the owners, the, owners, the owners have left. So I think that's the biggest thing, and uh, I think that's that's largely down to the work that we've done in Scotland, and also our partners in the rest of the UK and Europe have done to to really investigate how to make supporter ownership work. So I mean, clearly um, in Scotland, I mean it, the the financial the financials around football are different because um, when it comes to the uh, just the broadcasting deals, which yeah. clubs football in general has become very, very reliant on, and, and, and equally so in Scotland, they did at least for a while yeah. become deeply um, dependent on that alongside a lot of borrowing and debt um, and that kind of thing. So, so, so in a, in a sense then a lot, um, well, I don't think in a sense, I think it looks to me quite clear that a lot of this is about, um, you know, slightly stepping away from the sort of fan engagement stuff. It's actually, there's a, there's a kind of reshaping of, of, of Scottish football going on. And a lot of that, although I'll say it very evidently to me, there are still a lot of um, issues to get through and a lot of kind of almost a lot of fights to have mm-hmm. within Scottish, the Scottish league system. There's a lot of things that clearly need to be sorted out. But on, on one hand, on one side, there seems to be a lot of acknowledgement that um, this is a this is an era of great change, even if people don't recognise that. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, you know, yeah, and financially that will have a big impact. Longer term, that that will have an impact in the way that 
clubs and fans work together and it will obviously the, your role in Scottish in the Scottish Football Association as a stakeholder they're clearly defined as a stakeholder now without any shadow of a doubt that's going to have a big impact isn't it so there's a lot going on that's right yeah and that financial uh, dependency on, on broadcasting that you mentioned there was the big change that happened in Scotland when Satanta folded um, I can't remember if it happened just before or just after ITV Digital South of the Border so it's very similar things you know High, high dependency on a really, really big broadcasting deal that failed. Uh, and that, that caused Scottish football to have to really kind of address some of its fundamental um, you know, assumptions in its business models and how much money there is in there, um, how much money can be paid to players, to agents and the transfer fees, all the rest of it, all, all those changes have, have, have happened. Uh, and what it's meant um, that in Scotland, that although the money would be very, very difficult to live without from broadcasting deals. Um, it's brought us closer to a situation where, where, the, where, the, where the clubs think of the supporters first and foremost. Um, you know, you know, Premiership football can, can run behind closed doors and the league kicks off this, this weekend um, with, the, with the first matches at least um, being behind closed doors. Um, but uh, in the lower divisions, you know, the games don't really make, make an awful lot of sense without supporters being in the stadiums, paying their money at the turnstiles. It's very difficult to, um, to, to run a club, a small club, you know, part-time ones in particular, without uh, money coming in through the, through the turnstiles. So it's caused, you know, clubs have to really take the supporters' needs and preferences seriously and put them first. Um, and just the recovery from, from coronavirus, uh, from, from lockdown and return to football, you know, Scottish football is taking quite seriously how it treats fans and make it a, a safe, safe environment for them to come back to watching football because they know they can't do it without supporters being there. Uh, and that's, it's come, it's come about through some pretty unpleasant uh, and, 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 and you know things that will, will hurt the world for for years to come. I think in terms of the you know, the ripples of of, of COVID nineteen and on our economies, but also on our societies. Um, so it's it would be great if it come about in another, another way. Um, but actually, what it's meant in terms of this conversation about how we really look after supporters as we bring football back is quite a positive thing. Uh, and it's shown that we are a lot more aligned than maybe some people gave us credit for being uh, when, we, when we're in those conversations. So how, um, when it comes to the, the relationship with the SFA, that's clear, the Scottish Football Association, you've got the Congress, I think is, is what it's yeah, called. that's right. Um, now, that, that's something that, that gives you a very clear role um, in the game. One of the things that... Um, one of the other important relationships in there is with the league and you've got, you've obviously got one in terms of the senior, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of the senior game or the senior game that most people would, would recognise. Yeah. I'm not talking about the Highland or the Lowland league or, or anything like that, more about the SPFL really. Yeah. What is your relationship like with them as a national organisation? Because that's, an important one. I mean, I know down in you know in England, the Football Supporters Association um, meet with the EFL and the Premier League. Um, do you have similar relationships there with with uh, the SPFL, or are they not quite at that stage? Yeah, we do. We have um, we, generally when we when we're meeting, we meet with both organisations at the same time, and a lot of the time in the work that we do. We're, we're doing it with both organizations. So our annual survey, for example, is something that, we, that, is, that is, is supported by both the, the association and the league. 
Um, and I mentioned the SFA Congress, the SPFL, you know, a certain number of SPFL staff members show up in those meetings as well. So they're part of that Congress. So we're connected there. I think it's fair to say, and it's not meant as a criticism of, of the organization, is that their focus is more on the commercials than it is on, on the relationship with supporters. I mean, that's how they that's how they function. That's how their success is measured, and and ultimately they're uh, they're they're an organisation that exists to represent its for, their forty two members, um, and the, the the so so basically the clubs outsource a degree of uh, sponsorship and commercial activity, so it can be collectively bargained by the by the SPFL as an executive body. So they've got a very different role. So their their job is to to get a sponsor and. Uh, to get a good broadcasting deal um, and to keep their members connected and you know supporters I think come a little bit further down their sort of list of priorities than they do with their association uh, which is it seems to be a more sort of holistic looking at the whole of the game and in, in, in the round rather than that just particular dimension so that's where it's a little bit different and we're, we're maybe a little bit further removed from the conversations with the league than we are with the association. Let, let me come in there then the, the, the I'm curious about the idea that the leagues are more preoccupied with the commercials and not the relationship with with fans the interesting thing there of course is that i was is an interview that i've done with um the maidstone united co-owner they're in now in the national league south so for any scottish people who are not particularly um into english football tier tier six of the of the english pyramid um uh, and uh uh, you know, he for him, when he talks about fan engagement and talks about the role of supporters to a role of fans, he just sees them as integrated. They're they're in the end, they're they're front and centre in your business plan. And if you're developing your commercials, they they're going to be the ones who uh, who cause a company to want to sponsor you because yeah. of the, the the eyes on the product in inverted commas or the eyes on the club. They're going to be the ones who are buying the subscriptions for, for, for Sky, they're going to be the ones that are going to drive a lot of the commercial value of football because of the money they spend, especially where you've got um, less of a, an influence of broadcasting contracts. So yeah. the question is, is why wouldn't, why would you see it um, um, purely through the lens of commercial as though commercial were separate from, um, from, from, all of the other factors that affect commercial. Um, yeah. so fan, what, 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 I mean, it? I think you described the, you know, the Maidstone, you know, some, somebody involved at Maidstone probably has a very similar perspective on it than somebody involved at a, at a club uh, in Scotland. And I think, you know, the, the clubs individually, uh, uh, some of them do a better job than others, but they all, you'll know, have the supporters at the heart of their decision-making. They're thinking about how this, how's this gonna play with their, their supporters. I think that when you look at it from a league level, from that perspective, looking across the whole game, it's 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 such a diverse group. You know, football supporters are, are very different depending on where they show up. Um, so I think it kind of slips down. It's they're, they're kind of maybe they're viewed as as homogenous football supporter rather than needing to kind of fine tune that. So I'm not suggesting that they're ignored by the by the league, but it's actually just it's it's slightly lower in their in their list of priorities. Okay, well I'll 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 say it then that <laughs> they do appear to be far lower in the prior, the list of priorities that, than they should be, um, and and it is a bit of a sort of curious thing that you maintain a, a, a good and active dialogue with them, but that that 
doesn't appear that appears to be more difficult to change is it maybe that you know when we look at what you do what you what's going on between um uh, with, with yourselves up in scotland is um you forget that the way that the game has been run in scotland apart from changes obviously to the league the actual system of promotion and relegation the, the makeup of divisions the number of divisions and that kind of thing and i know that's been has yeah. been another debate about that recently yeah. Um, that really, in a lot of ways, institutionally, not a lot has changed for a long time, and it's really only now that the 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 the, the sort of the way that Scottish football leagues have run for a number of years, mm-hmm. it's only now that all that is being that well the whole the, the whole the way the whole game has been run at least professionally for years is really being addressed, and all sorts of changes, some tinkering around the edges, some quite radical changes, introduction of some degree of promotion and relegation between other senior levels of football, the Highland League, the Lowland League, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, so you, maybe we expect too much. And, and um, actually, the tra- you know, there has been a lot of change. Step back, look at it, look at the position you hold. And a lot of this is just about patience and continuing to bring yeah. your, you know, make your presence felt and, 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 and in effect change that way. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we we campaign and we advocate for greater su- consideration of supporters and greater representation of supporters in every decision that's made, and it happens to different degrees for different decisions. I mean, we you know, look, look at the last three or four months in, in Scotland, two of the biggest sort of decisions that that are two of the biggest issues that have been tackled. One was how do we get football back after coronavirus, and the other one is what happens to the league structure. So in the first of those, on bringing football, bringing football back, um, we were involved as an organisation in the, in the discussions and playing around with ideas, testing what would work and what would be the, the best way of doing it. And on, league re, on the league, re, league structure and the potential league reconstruction, the 42 clubs sorted that out. So a representative of, I think, four, it was 14 or 15 of them formed a task force. And the only people on that task force were people from the boardrooms of clubs. And they're expected to bring a supporter perspective along with them when they make that decision, rather than bringing a supporter into the room or a supporter's organization into the room to give that perspective directly. So it's just a different way that decision was made. Um, and we always we always advocate for more involvement in, in every decision. Um, and we would like more, invo- more involvement in both of them, but we got more on the return to football than we did on the league, league structure. We'd have liked a lot more on, on both. Um, but that, So it's, it's moving along and we, we sometimes maybe underestimate just how far we've moved and that we actually are in some of those conversations and we have a formal relationship with both organisations that, that means they're maybe thinking of us more than they used to do in the past. And it just shows up as frustration that, you know, we didn't get to sit in the task force and and um, and, and and give a support or perspective right at the heart of those discussions. And uh, and I suppose really you've got to look at two things. One is the actual tech, the sort of technical side, the process of decision making, the actual forums that you're making that, that Scottish football's making its decisions in, and you have some effects on that being in the Congress, etc., and meeting with the SPFL regularly. But the other part, I suppose, is what you're touching on, which is fan engagement should affect the culture, you know, and you, you are doing that, you know, fan engagement is what is part of what you're doing on behalf of all these fans, individual members of, of the Scottish football supporters network. Um, 
and so you don't always with with culture it's something more subtle quite often and you don't see it moving so quickly introducing a new forum for discussion is a is a sort of it's a thing it's something that has a process behind it it's a it's it's a structure and everything actually when it comes to the effect you're having on a week by week month by month year by year season by season basis it's harder to tell isn't it and yeah. actually where you were 19 years ago as a game as opposed to where you are now yeah. Yeah. is a massive massive difference and yeah and, and i think that the thing i talked about there about you know these decisions that are just made by people from the boardrooms of clubs we have to remember that some of those people are from support ruling clubs so if you look at you know, in, in total uh, something like 20 20 percent maybe 25 percent of football clubs are either majority or wholly owned or majority owned by their supporters another 10 have got supporter representatives on their board of directors so when i say you know 14 14 clubs nominate people to go on a task force and the supporters aren't involved supporters are involved in a good bunch of those clubs and the way their decisions are made so a representation a representation comes in many many different ways Another way that our, our representation comes into how clubs make decisions and then league collectively makes decisions is through supporter liaison officers. So again, it's a separate structure than supporters direct Scotland, um, but it is supporters having a say in how football works uh, in, in our country and in our, in our national game. Um, so I think we shouldn't, we sometimes, sometimes it's easy to forget that those things haven't always been there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very you know, positive thing themselves. And tell me about the SLOs. How have they developed the support liaison officers? Because down here there's been a tendency to, to put them within um, customer service environments and that kind of thing. Um, whereas talking to Christine Green from Grimsby Town or Owen West and Clifford Stott, who are two experts who, who encourage the role to be used in a much more... Um, proactive way with regards to security liaison with police and things like that um you know all the likes of sd europe who talk about the the you know the importance of the role in the german context as being the, the conduit yeah. um between the club and fans alongside some of the security concerns how's it how's it developed in scotland is it as is, is, is it has it been a similar thing similar has there been similar uh, a similar direction of travel to england or is it uh, it, well, I, would, I would say it's quite distinct really um, and I think one of the biggest things is that Scottish football is quite distinct from, from English football in terms of the size of our clubs so if you look at the role of a support liaison officer uh, at, at the old firm clubs um, they both have a full-time SLO uh, who's on the staff who's a paid member of staff and is dedicated to that job if you look at some of our, our other bigger bigger clubs they have somebody who's on the staff of the club but part of the time is spent in support liaison officer, and part of it is in another function, whether it's a commercial role, whether it's a, an operational role, a, a commercial, a, a, a merchandising or a ticketing role, something like that. But then if you look outside of the, really outside of the premiership, um, there are no, uh, I don't think there are any support liaison officers that are on the staff of the club. They're volunteer roles. Uh, and, and in between, they're part-time roles. So we've got, got quite a lot of variation in there. Some people who are part-time but completely dedicated to it, some people who volunteer as well as doing a staff job for their club, and other people who it's just part of their duties on, on the staff. Uh, and if you look at, you know, a great example is Montrose. So Montrose are, I hope we get them, don't get them in the wrong division, they're in League One. I uh, actually had a very good season last year and nearly we're on the outskirts of the sort of promotion playoff spots to get up to the championship. Um, they're a very small club, 
uh, and I mean that with the greatest respect, but their, 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 their average crowd is probably around five or 600. Uh, and they have two SLOs who are, who are volunteers. Um, one of them is in the stand and one of them is on the terraces. So they're e immediately identifiable to their fans. So everybody knows who they are and can go and talk to them. And the two of them work together and they've, 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 they've got great links into the staff. It's quite a small staff, a, a football club at that level in Scotland and into the boardroom. So the decision making in the club, everybody knows them and they refer to them and they send them out about things. Um, that's a very different role than uh, J.P. Taylor at Celtic or Greg Marshall at Rangers, who's a full-time member of staff who's got uh, who's got a budget, um, sometimes a small budget. I don't know what, what sort of numbers they're dealing, but it's a very different role. Whereas Rangers and Celtic probably looks closer to the English model, certainly in the top level of English leagues, uh, the, the way they've implemented the sport liaison officers. But we've got, I think, 31 of our 42 clubs with SLOs, and that's right down to the level of clubs that get a few hundred uh, punters in through the door. And you, literally the SLO will know everybody by name uh, when they're wandering around in the, in the terraces or in, the, or in the, the, the supporters bar before a match or at half time. Everybody will know them by name and they will know everybody by name. Um, and that's a very different way that it, it operates. And it's, it's just part of the supporter community uh, that's taking on that role of being the conduit for them. As well as their supporters club and their supporters trust and and any other sort of fan organisations that they have that, that they help them stay connected. Um, so it's much more. I think it's a much more organic role there. I thought also you, you asked about um, you know comparing it to the, the SLO role in Europe. Um, we don't have really have an ultras culture in Scotland. Um, so the role in Germany and in Scandinavia is a lot of it is about liaison with the ultras groups and helping them. Um, put on displays safely and within the rules and making sure they know the rulings are around pyro. We don't have very much of that at all in Scotland. So it's much more, um, more relaxed, I think. Um, there's, there's exceptions to that at some of the bigger clubs when there's displays going on and they're in European competition uh, and so on and so forth. But actually when you look at like League One, League Two and even the championship, uh, it's much more kind of low-key role and much more about about dialogue and just kind of helping fans get their voice heard in the club's decision-making processes rather than actually managing any match day conflict um, or activity.